This is a Her Camera podcast brought to you by Newcast. Hello and welcome to The Canberrans. We're a show and a podcast made all about Canberra by the teams at Her Canberra and Newcast Studios and we're filmed here in Braddon at the Lonsdale Street Studio. Today my guest is Dr Sophie Lewis who is the fairly recently announced ACT Sustainability Commissioner. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Now you have had a um, busy couple of years because apart from um, your new job this year you've been a climate change scientist and you were the 2019 ACT Scientist of the Year. Tell us a little bit about the new job and what does the role permit? Um, So my new job is as the Commissioner for Sustainability and the Environment, but most people wouldn't know what a commissioner is. So we have a small office that is independent of government and we serve several functions. So the big one is environmental reporting. So Every four years, we evaluate the state of the environment in Canberra and look at what's being done well, what's not being done well, and we make recommendations about how we can manage the environment better. But we also do all sorts of things. We do investigations. So sometimes the minister will direct our office to undertake an investigation into something. So it might be things like single-use plastics um, or um, whether we can make further cuts to our greenhouse gas emissions. We also take complaints from the public. We don't get many, but we do do that. And we do a lot of community engagement. So that's my favourite thing is talking to the community. And has it been a smooth transition from academia to the public sector? It, I've had a few missteps. I've made a few mistakes. <laughs> uh, still getting up to speed with the, the language, but um, it's been fantastic. It's really rewarding. And I love that I get to focus on Canberra. Before that, I was a researcher and everything was so big, global climate change, huge problems. And now I get to focus here where we live in Canberra. Mm. You were responsible for um, drafting um, recommendations to the UN. You were looking at um, temperature extremes. I mean, it really was the big picture, the global picture, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So my research, I was at UNSW and before that I was at ANU. That was looking at how climate change is impacting extreme heat waves, extreme flood events, uh, and sometimes droughts. And part of that was working with what's called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. That's a whole group of academics and scientists, and they come together and they evaluate the state of what's going on with our climate, and that's for the UN. Mm. And that is huge. It's all huge problems, big scale. Yeah. Is it hard to get your head around it sometimes? Yeah, it's, it is. It is. It can be really overwhelming and yeah. it can really be hard to see the positives and the hope and all the good stuff going on when you're focusing on just, you know, the worst case scenario or what's um, the worst extremes occurring in particular countries. Yeah. You're always focusing on that most extreme example. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of extremes, 2020. Was this the year where um, the professional became personal in that um, our city, our community, was literally staring climate change in the eyes and suddenly everybody got it? Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, for a lot of younger climate scientists or environmental scientists, it can be really hard to separate out that, you know, scientific 
um, objective, impartial from our lived experience. Mm. And the reason that a lot of us go into those fields are because we're so passionate about our environment and our world. But in 2020, that it was just all blurred for everyone. It's been a huge year and, um, you know, with that heavy, thick, revolting smoke rolling in on New Year's Eve and just settling on our city, the whole year has had that experience of, you know, this is climate change. We have been living climate change. Mm. You have a wife and a young daughter. Can you tell us what it was like for you personally at home um, when that thick smoke did roll in? What were your emotions? Yeah, it was, I mean, I was talking about New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, but we know that the smoke started almost a year ago. It was in November. So it already had several months of life being disrupted, you know, whether it's your swimming lessons cancelled, you can't go for your walk or your jog. And that's the most minor, not to mention people who have respiratory issues and were really suffering. But on New Year's Day, um, we just sat down together and we're like, this isn't healthy. We can't have my daughter Morgan in this environment and we were really lucky. We had the option that um, my brother lives in Hobart and he was happy to host us for a summer holiday. So we got the chance to take my daughter out and she got a really normal experience of summer. Mm. We're really lucky because I got to pick up an air purifier while we were down there and when we got back it was starting to get a little bit better. But so many people didn't have those options. They didn't have houses with, you know, well-sealed Um, doors and windows they didn't have the chance to get their kids out or that you know they had to be near facilities and services here yeah do you feel in a sense that um it was sort of a necessary horror because do you feel that there's a sense that we've actually the light switched on and we're like oh okay yeah we get it now oh that is such a good question emma um and i think if you asked me, I mean, that's 2020. If you asked me at different points throughout the year, my answer would change. So if you'd asked me back in March, I would have said, yes, this is it. Um, everyone in our region is saying, this is not okay. We want a world where we can have uh, a beautiful environment. We can have a future for our children. We can have health and well-being. We can have good jobs. We want all of that and we deserve that for our kids. But then COVID. So I, I think by necessity we've you know had to lurch to this more immediate crisis and catastrophe and focus on how do we get our community and ourselves and each other through this so i hope that um those that resolution that we're so so set that we cannot have next summer or the summer after or the summer of 2050 being worse than what we already experienced. But then, unfortunately, we've, you know, had so many different crises this year. So who knows where we're going to land on climate change? Has COVID um, exacerbated or tempered some of our worst environmental excesses? And I think, you know, it's slowed um, international travel, which as we know is, you know, a, a terrible thing to do for, um, you know, carbon production. It has where not driving or traveling so much but then I think we're manufacturing you know masks and throwing them away and getting all the takeaway and Mm. you know it's sort of I just wonder how do you even it out do you have any sense whether um, things are better or worse yeah so it is it is kind of tricky to to you know look at the budget and the accounting around that and um, you know we don't None of us want to be talking about the silver linings of a pandemic because we all appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. It's this huge socioeconomic People health crisis. But if we did look at just at the environmental, 
perspective, it really depends what we do next. So there have certainly been some benefits in terms of things like greenhouse gas emissions with um, changes in you know industry, manufacturing, flights. I haven't taken flights this year and normally I'm jet setting around all the time. Yeah. But it really depends what happens next. And as we move out of crisis and we start to really stimulate and build our economy, well, what future do we want? And this is such an important thing. We can be thinking, do we want this gas-led recovery or do we want a future where we're really innovating and focusing on green technologies? So it's really what happens next as we mm. move out rather than you know what happened in April or May this year. And you would like to just remind people of the um, the panic and the, um, the, as Ginger Gorman wrote, the existential dread that we all felt when suddenly we couldn't breathe the air. You know, that's what we need yeah, to be remembering absolutely. as and we plan our way out of this. Yeah, the number of people saying, this is the first time I didn't feel safe or yeah. that there was nothing that could keep me safe. There was nothing that I could rely on. Like I didn't feel safe in my home. And I mean, we don't want that. We can't mm-hmm. keep having that. Yeah. Now, um, in that same article, which was a wonderful article um, that really spoke to me on many levels, you talk about hope. Tell us um, tell us how you stay hopeful and don't lose your mind. Um, yeah, we talked a lot about hope when um, I was talking to Ginger and um, I guess it's a perspective I didn't realise I'd had until she mentioned I kept saying hope time and time and time again. And I think that is part of parenting a young child is that um, you you have to be hopeful for them and their kind of joy and wonder at the world is it's so immersive. Like when you're around young children, you can't help but be in their world and feel that their world has to be better than, you know, what they've experienced in the last year. So to me, it's... So at times it can be quite deliberate and I have to be, you know, very conscious to, to have that mindset of hope and optimism. But other times I think we really just have to do better and it will be better for them. How do we do better though? Oh, these kind of conversations. There, there is a lot that we can be doing and I think that's part of the problem. Like like I experienced personally, I was talking about how overwhelming the, that um, global research was and I, I, I couldn't really get a sense of the problem and how to contribute positively to the world till I started focusing on Canberra. And that's part of the issue with climate change. It's, you know, oh, I, I, what can I do? Or, you know, is, I don't want to feel guilty for occasionally driving to the shops because I want to get a coffee. It's such a huge problem, but there is so much that we can do. And talking about summer and how um, scared we all were, how worried we are about climate change and normalising that is really important for making that a priority. Yeah. I um, spoke to a great mate, Sarah Wilson, um, over the summer and I said that I was just paralysed with fear and she said, anything you can do is a good step. That You know, the tiniest thing you can do is better than not doing anything and that that just at least I was able to mobilise in my very small way. But um, I think, you know, sometimes the problem is so over- overwhelming that you just sort of freeze in panic. Absolutely. And I, I felt all of that too. I was, um, I went through so many emotions as, as um, you know, the new year moved on. I, I was in a state of, I guess, grief, um, anger. I felt so betrayed by, by that smoke that, that, our beautiful native ecosystems, people's homes were burning and every night we could smell that and that was going into my daughter's lungs. I felt like she had been betrayed by mm. Australian political leadership and that is paralysing. I was, I just 
was angry, I was sad, I cried, I didn't know what to do, I wanted to ignore it and just be at the beach. Um, it is really, really hard, but I think the, the power of talking about it is really important yeah. to be like, I, I'm normal, I'm sane, I'm a fairly you know, usual person and I'm worried about climate change and I'm worried about my kids' future. The more that we say that, the better. Yeah, and is it too late or not too late? I don't think it's too late. And I talked about people that. People say that. People say that and I just think, oh, it's no, not, not too late. No, not at all. I think, um, uh, well, one, I think that we're, we're parenting a wonderful generation of people and that um, they are so, I mean, my daughter's really little, but if we talk about teenagers and all that climate strike movement, they're so understanding and capable and empowered and empathetic. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't want to put the burden on them, but I think they're so resilient and they are, are going to be so adept at handling the challenges of a hotter and more extreme future. But in terms of reducing that warming they'll be living with, it's certainly not too late. Mm. Um, and like you said, any individual change is better than nothing and any reduction we make in future warming is better. Than, yeah. 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 Um, how do you rate Canberra as a green city? We, we do really well in Canberra. I'm really proud to live in Canberra and this is a jurisdiction where doing my job is a lot easier than in other places. So yeah. uh, in terms of climate change, we have really forward-thinking policies on reducing our uh, greenhouse gas emissions, our zero emissions targets. Uh, we really are a world leader in terms of how we're tackling climate change. But the issue is that we're just such a small place and we're influenced by what's going on outside our borders uh, and we really need to be prepared. So things like what will our homes look like in the future? What will our schools look like in the future? Yeah. So they're climate wise. The Canberrans video series and podcast is produced at the Lonsdale Street Studio, Canberra's only dedicated studio space for video production, photography and podcasting. Bookings are available online at lonsdalestreetstudio.com or by calling 61714144. Now, you married your wife right after the uh, marriage equality we laws did, yes. were passed. Um, given Canberra's wholehearted embrace, I mean, we had the, the highest vote, um, how proud are you to live here? Oh, I'm so proud for so many reasons, and that's part of it, is I think we're just like a really wonderful community and people get just uh, evaluated for who they are and their contributions. Um, I'm sure that's not everyone's experience of living in Canberra, but I really do think we're a very open community and we value contributions from lots of people. Have you always um, felt that your sexuality has been accepted? Um Yes, for the most part, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, I think, yeah, maybe, maybe this is also a generational thing. My wife is a little bit younger than me and, um, yeah, she she finds it quite interesting hearing older people's perspectives and yeah. um, the challenges that they've experienced that she hasn't. Do you feel that Morgan's going to grow up in a more tolerant society than the one you grew up in? Um, absolutely, and I th I really hope particularly um, that... Um, all the conversations that have been happening in 2020 in particular, talking about turbulent years, all those social discussions around Black Lives Matter and um, um, the perspectives of non-white people, I really hope that that's um, something that um, persists and something that she has exposure to is all sorts of different people's 
perspectives. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, sadly, you and your wife have experienced um, quite a traumatic year in experiencing pregnancy loss and that's something that I checked before we came on camera that you were okay to talk about. Yeah. Um, how does it help to be open about the issue? Um, I think it's been really helpful for us because um, it means that we've had this huge support network of people who have understood and appreciated what we've been going through and they've been there to support us. Um, but I also think it's really important to talk about more publicly and I know not everyone has the capacity to do that and mm. um, if that is a matter that's private for people, I completely understand that. But I think the more we talk about it and the more we normalise that, the more support we can provide to people. And we know so many people now who've talk to us about their pregnancy loss or their infertility, um, suffering from um, stillbirth or various other mm. aspects in their personal life that they didn't feel that they were able to talk to um, or bring up professionally. And, you know, since we started talking quite openly about what we've experienced, lots more people have talked to us and I think it just creates an environment where we're far more able to support each other and realise that Lots of people are going through lots of stuff all the time yeah. and, um, you know, we really need to, to support each other. Mm. Because the path to parenthood really is a roller coaster, isn't it? it, it is. uh, it's not just get pregnant, have a baby. It really is so much more than that. And we, it's almost like we're a bit superstitious that we never talk about, you know, what can yeah. go wrong. Or... Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, um, it, I mean, the whole thing is a roller coaster. I mean, for some people, they do, they do just plan to have a baby and then they get a baby, and I, I find that incredible that that, that actually happens all yeah. the time, every day to people. But then having a baby is a roller coaster. So, I, I again, like, there's there's just um, there's benefits in so many situations, and we had a really really hard time. But um, at the same time, we learnt so many skills in being able to communicate with each other and being kind to each other when we felt like absolute crap that when we did have Morgan I, I felt like even though she was the most horrible monstrous newborn and did not sleep and scream for hours it was a joy and we were able to manage that really difficult situation because we had um, learnt how to talk to each other through harder times so you know We've we've had a roller coaster, but I mean everyone does in some ways, and yeah. the gratitude that we have that we get to be her mums is just yeah, it's it's overwhelming. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it is pretty cool, and uh, I'm a little bit biased, but she's a pretty cool little human. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what is the best bit about raising her in Canberra? Um, oh, definitely the environment. I would yeah. have to say seeing her joy in the natural world and that that is in I mean you talk to Canberrans and they're so proud of their suburb they're like oh I just love where I live you know it's it's usually a suburb that I haven't heard of before and they have these reasons why their suburb is fantastic and so much of it is around access to green spaces and our nature reserves and birds and kangaroos yeah. and all these phenomenal things that our children get to be exposed to and have that connection to the natural world that I think just keeps us so level and balanced and I love seeing Morgan's delight in that. Yeah. Is there a little spot in Canberra that you would nominate as, you know, 
a soulful favourite place for you to go and hang out? Oh, well, I don't sit still, so I don't think I have a spot that I would go to. It would be more... Jogging track. Jogging track, yeah. I've got, I probably have, like, my top ten running tracks because I just zip around Canberra and Depends I Depends on the, the, the temperature and the season. Yeah, and, and I love sort of planning them out. So, you know, around this time of the week I'll start thinking about what I'm going to do on my Sunday morning run and I have my, my favourite tracks and the ones I like to go to, you know, every six months or so. But there are so many beautiful spots, whether it's in the National Park or Tip and Bill or on our local nature reserves that um yeah I love that everyone has these places that are kind of so restorative for them yeah um are there any aspects of the city's growth and development and urban sort of renewal and urban infill that concern you I think there are certainly things that we can be doing better in Canberra if we're looking to keep that natural environment and the state of that and our enjoyment of that but also balance the fact that people want nice places to live they want to live near transport or they want um to be able to afford homes for their families so it's it's such a complex equation there but i certainly think that um um if we are talking about all of that we really have to be thinking about you know how do we grow our city how do we provide homes for people in a way that doesn't reduce that state of the environment or our access to it. Do you think that our um, our sort of current planning system, where we're we're spreading out, um, trying to trying to um, infill the the city a little bit in the the sort of the the more densely populated um, urban centres, but really we're spreading out. Does that um, is that a good or a bad thing? Because it does lead to sort of transport transport needs and. Um, are we better off sort of staying with what we've got or continuing this sprawl? Yeah, so ideally if we're talking about this environmental perspective, infilling uh, our current suburbs that do have um, all those things that are really important to our quality of life like shops and um, things like access to transport or where people can um, easily walk walk or or ride, um, that's really ideal and that reduces the footprint of our city. It reduces all sorts of different, um, you know, construction materials, things that we're bringing into the ACT or taking out. But we also have to think about, um, you know, all the kind of equity and, you know, who has access to housing and um, we can't just be thinking about how things were, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago and the green space around Canberra. So it is such a balance. Mm. How can Canberra become a greener city? What are some of the things that we should really be? I know we're, you know, we've got a good track record and we are on the right path, but are there any other things that we should be considering? Um, So one of the really big things... um, that comes up time and time again in um, state of the environment reporting is around our ecological footprint. So I mentioned that we have really ambitious targets for reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. So that's all the things that, you know, um, the byproduct of running your car, um, generating electricity, all those sorts of things. Um, So we're pretty ambitious on the greenhouse gas emissions, but when we look at our ecological footprint, we find that we're really quite high in Canberra. So that means that um, to sustain the life that we have in Canberra, that each of us lead, we'd really need nine times the area that we have in the ACT. So that means we're relying on other areas to sustain our life here. And we can see that that's not a sustainable equation environmentally. So the things that really drive that up are those things that we bring into Canberra, um, 
a lot around um, materials, but also around food choices. So that's where we really need to start to think about, um, you know, the lives that we're living and the costs of those. Yeah. Now, um, this is a bit, might be a little bit of a tricky um, question to ask you, but as Sustainability Commissioner, if you could ram one piece of legislation through the ACT Assembly tomorrow uh, oh. without any blowback or any debate, um, a little bit dictatorial, yes, I know, but if you could just get one thing done and dusted, what would it be? Oh, that is such a good question. Um, so there's some really big ones. I think a really big one for Alphys has been around circular economy. Um, so we all know about recycling and reuse, but circular economy is really about how we think about goods and um, the life cycle of those goods. Uh, so it's not what we do with waste um, after we finish with the product. It's about you know rethinking that um, uh, something isn't a waste product. It's it's a resource for a new material. It's about thinking about um, what are we using, what are we creating, and kind of rethinking the whole economy. So rather than having a linear economy where we put, purchase a good and then we put it in landfill and then we move on to a new yeah. good, uh, it's it's thinking about you know what is the cost, where do things go, and uh, at the moment we're bringing all sorts of material into Canberra, whatever it is, whether it's nappies or shoes or all the normal things we use day to day and then when we dispose of them for the most part they go out to mugger lane into landfill and some of it gets put into recycling um, but the circular economy is about rethinking that whole thing Um, so i'd really like to see that we have um, um, a really deep investment in building up the circular economy and rethinking how we're bringing products in here it's sometimes overwhelmingly hard to think about all the things that we use and discard. Um, do you think we just need to be more conscious from the moment we wake up in the morning with, you know, breakfast cereal choices to what we wrap our school lunches in, to what coffees we buy, to whether we walk or ride to? I think that just goes back to the one step at a time, one thing's better than another. Because if I started, I, I would have a breakdown by coffee, right? I sometimes yeah, do. I yeah, sometimes and you just would turn myself. yourself in circles yeah. feeling so guilty about yeah. having a coffee and you know, oh, well, I'm the problem. I'm the one who's causing all these issues. So I don't think we necessarily need to go that far, but I think um, we're really on this journey collectively where, you know, back when I was a kid, it was clean up Australia Day and put it in the bin and you've done the right thing. And then we move from, well, you don't put it in the bin, you put it in the recycling bin. And, you know, now you've done a good job because that's going to get repurposed and broken down and turned into paper. And now we've got to be thinking, well, actually... Um, Shouldn't have bought it in the first place. Yeah, did we need to buy it? Did it need a wrapper? So I think we're all on this journey and any changes we make are really, really helpful. Um, And we think... We need to be thinking beyond just the individual about all sorts of processes, governance, policies. But at the same time, I mean, you can't you can't dig your own grave because you bought a takeaway coffee. Like you could, that's no way to live in the world, and that's not helping but anyone. You can get a cardboard um, coffin, which is something I've oh, spoken to my kids about. <laughs> Talk about waste in the funeral industry. Oh, as long as podcast. it's um, recycled cardboard that's made locally, that's the I'm only sure, one I want to rather a morbid note to end this interview on but thank you so much for your time no worries thank you very much we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that this series was recorded on the Ngunnawal people we pay our respects to their elders past present and emerging and acknowledge their continuing culture and the contribution they make to the life of this city and region 
The Canberrans is a collaboration between Her Canberra, Newcast, Lonsdale Street Studio and Salon Canberra.